Section 1 of the Book of Sir Marco Polo the Venetian Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of Sir Marco Polo the Venetian Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2 by Rusticello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Book Second, Part Two, Chapters Thirty-Five to Thirty-Eight. Book Two, Part Two, Journey to the West and Southwest of Cathay. Chapter Thirty-Five. Here begins the description of the interior of Cathay, and first of the river Pulisangin. Now you must know that the Emperor sent the aforesaid Messer Marco Polo, who is the author of this whole story, on business of his into the western provinces. On that occasion he travelled from Kambaluk a good four months' journey towards the west, and so now I will tell you all that he saw on his travels as he went and returned. When you leave the city of Kambaluk, and have ridden ten miles, you come to a very large river which is called Pulisangin, and flows into the ocean, so that merchants with their merchandise ascend it from the sea. Over this river there is a very fine stone bridge, so fine indeed that it is very few equals. The fashion of it is this. It is three hundred paces in length, and it must have a good eight paces of width, for ten mounted men can ride across it abreast. It has twenty-four arches, and as many water-mills, and it's all of very fine marble, well built and firmly founded. Along the top of the bridge there is on either side a parapet of marble slabs and columns made in this way. At the beginning of the bridge there is a marble column, and under it a marble lion, so that the column stands upon the lion's loins, whilst on top of the column there is a second marble lion, both being of great size and beautifully executed sculpture. At the distance of a pace from this column there is another, precisely the same, also with its two lions, and the space between them is closed with slabs of grey marble to prevent people from falling over into the water. And thus the columns run from pace to pace along either side of the bridge, so that altogether it is a beautiful object. Chapter 36 Account of the City of Juju When you leave the bridge and ride towards the west, finding all the way excellent hostelries for travellers, with fine vineyards, fields and gardens, and springs of water, you come after thirty miles to a fine large city called Juju, where there are many convents, and the people live by trade and manufactures. They weave cloth of silk and gold, and very fine taffetas. Here, too, there are many hostelries for travellers. After riding a mile beyond this city, you find two roads, one of which goes west and the other southeast. The westerly road is that through Cathay, and the southeasterly one goes towards the province of Manzi. Taking the westerly one through Cathay, and travelling by it for ten days, you find a constant succession of cities and boroughs, with numerous thriving villages, all abounding with trade and manufactures, besides the fine fields and vineyards and dwellings of civilised people, but nothing occurs worthy of special mention, and so I will only speak of a kingdom called Chapter 37. The Kingdom of Tianfu. After riding then those ten days from the city of Juju, 
you find yourself in a kingdom called Tayanfu, and the city at which you arrive, which is the capital, is also called Tayanfu, a very great and fine city. But at the end of five days' journey out of those ten, they say there is a city unusually large and handsome called Akbaluk, where it terminate in this direction the hunting preserves of the emperor, within which no one dares to sport except the emperor and his family, and those who are in the books of the Grand Falconer. Beyond this limit any one is at liberty to sport, if he be a gentleman. The great Khan, however, scarcely ever went hunting in this direction, and hence the game had increased and multiplied to such an extent, particularly the hares, that all the crops of the province were destroyed. The great Khan, being informed of this, proceeded thither with all his court, and the game that was taken was past counting. Tayanfu is a place of great trade and great industry, for here they manufacture a large quantity of the most necessary equipments for the army of the emperor. There grow here many excellent vines, supplying great plenty of wine, and in all Cathay this is the only place where wine is produced. It is carried hence all over the country. There is also a great deal of silk here, for the people have great quantities of mulberry trees and silkworms. From this city of Tayanfu you ride westward again for seven days through fine districts with plenty of towns and boroughs, all enjoying much trade, and practicing various kinds of industry. Out of these districts go forth not a few great merchants who travel to India and other foreign regions, buying and selling and getting gain. After those seven days' journey you arrive at a city called Pianfu, a large and important place, with a number of traders living by commerce and industry. It is a place, too, where silk is largely produced. So we will leave it and tell you of a great city called Kachanfu. But stay, first let us tell you about the noble castle called Kechu. Chapter 38 Concerning the Castle of Kechu On leaving Pianfu, you ride two days westward and come to the noble castle of Kechu, which was built in time past by a king of that country whom they used to call the Golden King, and who had there a great and beautiful palace. There is a great hall of this palace, in which are portrayed all the ancient kings of the country, done in gold and other fine colours, and a very fine sight they make. Each king in succession as he reigned added to those pictures. This Golden King was a great and potent prince, and during his stay at this place there used to be in his service none but beautiful girls, of whom he had a great number in his court. When he went to take the air about the fortress, these girls used to draw him about in a little carriage which they could easily move, and they would also be in attendance on the king for everything pertaining to his convenience or pleasure. Now I will tell you a pretty passage that befell between this golden king and Prester John, as it was related by the people of the castle. It came to pass, as they told the tale, that this golden king was at war with Prester John and the king held a position so strong that Prester John was not able to get at him, or to do him any scath. Wherefore he was in great wrath. So seventeen gallants belonging to Prester John's court came to him in a body, and said that, an he would, they were ready to bring him the golden king alive. His answer was that he desired nothing better, and would be much bounded to them if they would do so. So when they had taken leave of their lord and master Prester John, they set off together, this goodly company of gallants, and went to the golden king, 
and presented themselves before him, saying that they had come from foreign parts to enter his service. And he answered by telling them that they were right welcome, and that he was glad to have their service, never imagining that they had any ill intent. And so these mischievous squires took service with the Golden King, and served him so well that he grew to love them dearly. And when they had abode with that king nearly two years, conducting themselves like persons who thought of anything but treason, they one day accompanied the king on a pleasure party, when he had very few else along with him. For in those gallants the king had perfect trust, and thus kept them immediately about his person. So after they had crossed a certain river that is about a mile from the castle, and saw that they were alone with the king, they said one to another that now was the time to achieve that they had come for. Then they all incontinently drew, and told the king that he must go with them, and make no resistance, or they would slay him. The king at this was in alarm and great astonishment, and said, "'How then, good my sons, what thing is this ye say? And whither would you have me go?' They answered, and said, "'You shall come with us, will ye nail ye, to Prester John our Lord?' End of section 1